Raising children is a full-time job, and that's why we've called this podcast Parent 24-7. In this ongoing series of podcasts, we'll be unpacking all the issues that affect parents in South Africa. I'm chatting to psychologist Gerda Creel about maternal mental health. In this podcast series, we unpack the various aspects of pre- and postpartum mental health and why it's so important for mothers and fathers too to be aware of their mental health. We'll chat about the various ways pregnancy and childbirth can affect a parent's mental health and we'll unpack various diagnoses and treatments and suggest options for family support. Gerda is a clinical psychologist with seven years of experience working to support families. So today we're talking about whether or not it's possible to predict PPD and related mental health issues and we're joined by Annaline, a writer who is not yet a parent and as such can ask the questions that myself as a mom who's already been through and experienced PPD cannot. As Elizabeth has said, my name is Annaline and I have quite a few questions on postnatal depression. Great, yeah. And depression. If a person has a history with depression, does that increase their chances of being diagnosed with postnatal depression once they give birth? So having a pre-existing mental illness is actually a predisposing factor for having postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it does. So are there very evident differences between, for lack of a better word, regular depression and postnatal depression? So the experience of, of the depression is going to be quite similar. The difference would lie in when it starts. So regular yeah. depression would start without the presence of a pregnancy and a birth, whereas postnatal depression. So the professional, or the, the I would say the real terminology, the, the kind of the clinical terminology we mm. would use when we would describe is to say a major depressive episode or a major depressive disorder and then with a specifier with postpartum onset which means that it had started within six months of giving birth does this then also mean or is this then also a possibility that someone that has gone through a depressive episode or experiences the disorder or lives with the disorder they won't necessarily experience postnatal depression yeah so they're at a higher risk for certain yes but it doesn't mean just because you've got a higher risk that you will actually have it yeah one of the things that i am very passionate about is actually advocating that women with a pre-existing mental illness and that can be bipolar disorder that can be depression that can be anxiety Mm -hmm. any pre-existing mental illness that they start treatment before the baby comes home so that you actually go and say I'm fine right now so you go see a professional and you say I'm fine right now but I do think that I might have difficulties when this baby comes so I'd like to start working through a few things and that's really a protective factor so that's that's really work that I find very invigorating it's helping mothers that know that they've got a pre-existing mental illness to navigate that road and to see them past the point where it would be considered postpartum depression yes my next question actually leads to the use of medication does the use of the antidepressant or any form of medication how does that affect the pregnancy i do think that if you are using any medication when you realize that you're pregnant to speak to your healthcare provider immediately is something that i can't stress enough because even medication that's not for mental illness can have side effects on the babies and then otherwise like there are some medications that are 
used for treating mental illness that are mm. safe for babies. So I think it's better that you rather discuss that with her, with a healthcare practitioner. If you're pregnant yourself and you yes. know that you are on medication, immediately speak to somebody. Because I must say, some of those medications can also cause some significant birth defects. Yeah. So you have to be, if you're thinking of falling pregnant even, mm. say you're married and you've been on medication for a long time, go to your doctor, say, look, we're thinking of starting a family. This is what I'm on. What do I need to change? How can we, you know, get my regime in the right way so mm. that it doesn't affect my baby? Yes. So that's that's res- the responsible thing to do. Okay. Thank you so much, Gerda, for answering <laughs> all my questions. Right. I think it has cleared up a lot of confusions all that right. I had regarding pregnancy and mental health. Well, I'm glad that you asked them. I think it's important that yes. people ask the questions Indeed. they have. Thanks, Annalene. Thanks for asking those very relevant questions. Um, So one of the reasons why I think it's important to speak to women who haven't yet had children is the idea of sort of predicting PPD and unpacking the risk factors. And as someone who's been through it, it's sometimes harder to know what to ask because you you, you sort of already have some of those answers. But what are are the other risk factors? I've heard having a C-section can predispose you to postnatal depression. I've heard that having a complicated pregnancy, having a complicated birth are also risk factors. What do, what do we need to do if we are thinking about having or starting a family and then we're concerned that this that the postpartum depression might become an issue after the birth? What do we need to look out for? So there are, there are various factors actually at play here. One, um, some of those that you've mentioned now, like having a, an unplanned C-section is definitely one of the big risk factors. Having a complicated pregnancy where there was something with a baby that you might have anticipated. Having a stillborn, you know, I think that's something women don't often think about. And it's a, it's a significantly painful experience because there's, there's loss at what should have been the beginning of life. So there are so many different risk factors. But I think some of the other things that we often overlook are just lifestyle and socioeconomic status, for instance. Do you have a partner? Are you going to be a single mother? We know that single mothers, again, they're more predisposed, also not predisposed, they're more sensitive to developing postpartum depression. And at the same time, often are the people who are not going to ask for help because they don't necessarily have the support. How was the baby conceived? Was it consensual, you know? rape is a reality in our country and even though we we can have abortions and it's free in our country and you can access it at at healthcare places some women still decide to keep the baby not necessarily realizing how that baby's presence will revert back to the trauma that they'd suffered so there's so many different um, risk factors if we think about resources you know i think elizabeth we i I can freely say I, i was very blessed to be able to have a lot of resources when i had my babies certainly we had friends and family that came out came through for us you know we were gifted with everything we needed and we were lucky to have a vehicle to take our baby home in the reality is that a lot of women in our country don't have that and they still, that doesn't mean that they will develop postnatal depression. That's not saying that at all, because they might have other resources like community and, you know, family around them that we might not have. So it, it's really, it's such an individual thing. 
But we do find that, um, it's interestingly enough, they find that the um, high socioeconomic class and the lowest low socioeconomic class seem to have the highest incidence of, of depression after birth, which is interesting um, when you think about it. And we're not quite sure necessarily why. I'm not sure off the top of my head, certainly why. There might have been studies done about that, about you know why it is. But it, I think it says something about, you know, one might suffer lack of resources, whereas the other might suffer lack of support. You know, higher socioeconomic class are often more isolated. We don't have that community around us. So yeah, that's just something that's interesting to to notice. But just because you have risk factors doesn't mean you will develop the depression. Right. So if you know yeah. that you sort of have a predisposition, I mean, you can predict some things. You can't predict a traumatic mm. birth experience. You no. can't necessarily predict a premature birth experience. Yeah. But you can, you, you, if you have a history of depression or uh, mental illness, what can you do to sort of brace yourself for what's coming? Is it inevitable that you will suffer postpartum depression? Or is uh, what, what can you do to avoid it? So... You know, it's it's really hard to avoid something if you if you don't know it's coming. And I think that's why your question is so relevant. If you do know that you have certain risk factors, it's it's really taking care of yourself in those months leading up to the birth. And that might mean speaking to your healthcare provider explaining expressing to them how you feel. You know, most healthcare providers I find are, are quite sympathetic with pregnant mothers and they might say, listen, I see that you're struggling. So, you know, let's refer you to somebody. Let's see if you can see a psychologist or you can this or that. So speaking about that openly with, with the healthcare provider, if you can't speak to your family or friends, then already expecting what you might be experiencing during like the first couple of weeks. So if you know that you're prone to feeling overwhelmed, what can you do to make that feeling less? Can you buy a bunch of freezer food and put that in your freezer? Again, that's the thing of resources. If you have the money and the resources to do that, that's great. If you don't, can you ask your neighbors, your community to just step in for you during that time and help you with meals or taking care of your other children? So we often think that postpartum depression is something that also only affects first-time moms. But that's not true. It can affect like you with your fifth child for the first time. It, it's really hard to specify exactly what is going to be triggering or what is going to cause you to have postnatal depression. But if you know that you have a history of mental health, taking care of your mental health during pregnancy and making sure you have some kind of support post-pregnancy, I think that's really something to just do don't you know skimp on that if you have the money for the bio oil to prevent the stretch marks then take the time out go for therapy to prevent the mental illness i think that's really important yeah that that makes a lot of sense so then what about in a situation such as a premature birth you unexpected what do you do in the days immediately afterwards what can you do to protect yourself yeah so it's interesting you know when you speak to these moms um I, i have i mean i had a baby in in icu for like three days so i really don't feel qualified to speak as one of the NICU mommies. But when you talk to moms that have had that experience where they've had to be in the NICU for a longer time or very unexpected, they often say like, I don't know what happened. I just literally, I did what I needed to do. You know, I expressed every two hours. I was there for the baby. I sat there. I'm thinking of one of my friends who said, I just did what I had to do and I didn't really think about doing it. And I suppose that's such a reality for lots of women. And sometimes during that time when the baby's in ICU, some moms don't cope at all. Some moms don't want to go visit the baby. They just, they feel it's too much. It's overwhelming. You know, that's already kind of a red flag. And other moms love going there and being there and being supported by the nurses. But then when they go home, suddenly it's like, oh, wow, now, like there's no nurse to tell me that this baby now is hungry or 
has a fever or now this is on me. My so, husband and I have that had that experience just 10 days in ICU but I remember when yeah. he brought our baby home he, he said it's from the ICU to the ICS. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. And it was very overwhelming to have to take care of yeah. this very tiny little baby. Sure. It's, it is. It's a massively overwhelming experience. And I think that we have to say also that a premature birth, there's two things. There's a tiny baby that needs care. But what also happens in that same space is that it's usually associated with a degree of trauma. And so we can talk all about postpartum depression, but we have to talk about the possible PTSD that comes post-birth. And I don't think that we always address that. I think that we don't think of even traumatic births as being traumatic. Because it's supposed to be this wonderful experience, and even if it wasn't that wonderful, aren't you supposed to just be grateful that you have a healthy baby? Yes, yes. And I think this is the thing. People will say really insensitive things like, yeah, but you know, your sister so-and-so has been trying for years to feel pregnant, and now you have this baby and you're crying about it. Like, what's going on with you? Mm, you just, just be grateful yeah. and smile about it and and. and it's past, right? It's yes. behind you now. You don't have to think about it again. It's all over. But the reality is, you know, so it was my husband's birthday yesterday and he said, yeah, do you think that my mother still remembers that I was born as a painful experience? I said, oh, sweetie, for heavens, I hope not. It's so far in the past. But, um, and, and I said to him, I, I certainly don't think about that when my babies have their birthdays. But I think, you know, that there are people who get stuck in the trauma and that might be Every birthday is a reminder of the day when, you know, this thing happened to me. And birth is messy, man. <laughs> Way before I had kids, I had a friend from Germany visit. And this is oversharing on her behalf. She she shared with me her birth, her firstborn birth, which was a natural birth. And she said at the end, it looked like I gave birth in a slaughterhouse. And I'm such a picture person. Oh, and wow. I was like, oh, that sounds like totally horrendous. <laughs> And not all births end up like that, so just to say. But but birth isn't, it's not, it doesn't look like it does in the pictures. Like, you know, these beautiful birth pictures of the people, like the photographers take, and it's it just looks like it smells of baby powder when it doesn't. It very much doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly stale milk and yeah. know, unwashed yes. pajamas Yeah, what and I remember. Body fluids. It smells like <laughs> some form of body fluid. <laughs> so I, I think that's the thing is like, birth expectations sometimes are high and this is the thing about trauma we think trauma should be something that's death defying trauma sometimes is something that is so subtle you know i think one of the challenges we have in south africa is is teenage pregnancy and teenage moms and that's also just by by one of the higher populations in which we find postpartum depression is our teenage mom population but also oftentimes when they are giving birth they are treated poorly. And this isn't something that's unique to South Africa. I think this is something that's like all over. Yeah, I think birth experiences can be, you know, as wide as the heavens above us. And and so there's a perception though, I do want to say this, there's a perception that it's bad in government. And I do want to kind of just say that I think people have bad experiences in private as well you know so that's something that we've got to just be mindful of it doesn't mean that because you're going to have your baby in like a nice fancy hospital or a home birth or it doesn't mean that you're not going to have something that's traumatic for you we have to be mindful that birth is a time when you, all your senses all your hormones everything is kind of putting you in high alert so things that you might not necessarily be sensitive to as a normal day-to-day -day thing during birth you probably are going to be a bit sensitive to and that's that's 
good because that's your experience. So that's how it should be. I do think mothers need a lot of softer care just generally. Yeah, so we've heard at Parent24, we've heard amazing stories about mm. wonderful births at government hospitals. Mm. Obviously, there are, there are those headlines that make the news that are a lot more negative. I was fortunate enough to have my children at private hospitals, mm. but I suppose perhaps the first time around I just made an assumption that the hospital was going to be good because it was a well-known mm. private hospital. And unfortunately, my experience there was dreadful. Definitely some PTSD there. I'm going to step in there. <laughs> Go <laughs> so, ahead. <laughs> so what I want to say is that it's, it's, it's something that's so important. I think being mindful of not shaming an institution and being mindful of saying that people generally, I do believe that people in helping professions really generally do their best. But we can't say that it's going to be smooth sailing just because it's, it's private. And I think that's the perspective that we often go into. So what you're actually alluding to is expectation. Perhaps, perhaps. I know lots of other moms who've had babies at that same hospital had wonderful experiences. Yeah. And I've since been back with friends and family having babies there. They had an amazing time. Yeah. So I think, Elizabeth, one of the things that I think, and this hasn't been studied, this has been by colloquial discussions with people and with mothers, I think one of the biggest factors that impact on postpartum depression is actually your expectation. How did you think it was going to be versus the reality? So what I tell people to do, I show them my hand up high by the roof and I say, if your expectations right now are here, bring them down to your headspace. And then I say, and then you bring them down. And then you take them down all the way to the ground. Expect nothing. Because the moment that you expect something, and that expectation is not met, you sit with disappointment. And disappointment can actually lead to despondency, and despondency can lead to depression. So see, that's the spiral, that's the step in. So again, this has not been studied, but I have found working with women protectively, or uh, yeah, like women that we've identified, for instance, in the hospital that we know have got mental illness, and that are pregnant, and that need kind of just support during that process. That's one of the things that I work with. I ask them, what are your expectations of having a baby? And if they say, oh, it's going to be lovely. It's somebody to love. Just me, just for me. It's so nice. And I'm like, eh. babies also cry a lot. And they also poop really bad diapers. And they require your full-time attention 24-7. And then I you know, can't just do that reality check. And they say, oftentimes, coming back with a the baby, then they come back with these little cute babies. They say... I remember that time when you said to me, so, you know, when I when my baby wasn't sleeping and I was like, why isn't this baby sleeping? I realized you said, oh, babies don't sleep. And they bring their expectations into more realistic spheres. We shouldn't be negative about having babies. That's fantastic. I love having babies. But we should be realistic that it's not purity and pampers and powder smells. And, you know, it's it's really, it's real life. It's, it's messy and it's messy on a heart level too because your emotions go all over the mm -hmm. show and and really that is something that I think protectively if you can manage your expectations about first of all having the baby or actually first first of all about birth you know I, I remember <laughs> I had these expectations of having birth and I birthed so well and then when they pushed me into the when it was like you know crunch time <laughs> they pushed me in and they put me in stirrups and I just wasn't mentally prepared for stirrups you know that they strap your legs into that was horrid I didn't know they still did that well <laughs> <laughs> apparently <laughs> um, but uh, you know I, I, and, I, and I remember that just that one thing which was a standard practice for this particular doctor which we had just never discussed beforehand and in the in the midst of it I mean that was like literally a minute before my baby was born so I actually didn't have the energy or the agency to say, I don't want this. 
because at that time like I would have just done anything to be done and over with but but it's it's about agency if we can give mothers agency in the birth process we are protecting them against the trauma okay so that's the one aspect the second thing is what if it what if something just goes wrong during birth every woman is different we're all built different um, some women give birth naturally like babies just walk out of them it's beautiful and they're just made to give birth some don't and sometimes things go wrong during birth i um you know know of 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 women really injuring getting bad birth injuries so in the long run it's it's like just really being putting the mother in some kind of control during the process of birth um so there's a big movement towards birth plans and i say that's great but then have a plan b c d e like because reality reality is that anything could happen in that birthing room and it's important that you have that you feel comfortable with other options as well so one of the risk factors is that i've heard is is having had a c-section and is mm. that perhaps because a lot of women hope for plan for a natural birth and then for any number of reasons and in south africa we do have a very high cesarean rate based on several reasons that aren't really in our control and then of course there's the issue of something going wrong some women feel bullied into having a caesar some women are tricked into it almost by doctors telling them that they're too small or they um the baby's head is too big or by scaring them with videos of episiotomies in which you know any woman would choose to have a caesarean after that i think except that if you do know what's involved in caesarean you wouldn't actually choose that and a lot of women feel the sense of failure also if they weren't able to birth naturally so how does that come into this okay so i think when it comes to c-section one of the important things is that feeling of loss of control and you know however it comes about one of the things i must say is that in some cases a c-section can be protective for mental health so i'm going to just come in as the devil's advocate absolutely this This is fascinating yeah so um when you have mothers who do not like the unknown and that do not like the uncertainty that birth brings with it that like to plan that like to know you know this is this is what it's going to be like i'm going to be a theater at eight i'm going to be the babies are going to be delivered or the one baby or whatever this is how long we're going to be in hospital for this this is that kind of personality seems to actually really adopt well to life after c-section when a c-section is unplanned or when it is an emergency c-section those are the c-sections that really seem to leave mothers with a larger percentage of struggling postpartum so and not just necessarily with postpartum depression although it, it does have a correlation but even just with adjusting to life with this new baby and with adjusting to the life of this new body that you know was scarless before and now has stretch marks and a beautiful scar i just remember so i had a natural birth and i had a c-section and my c-section was i was so painful and i remember calling my friend like months and after having it like seven months i was like my scar still hurts is this normal and she was like yeah so my scar still hurts it's been two years and i you know whether it was a real pain like was it a real nerve pain or was it more of a kind of an imagined psychosomatic pain um, because i really didn't wasn't prepared for the c-section it's hard to say but it was my, my my experience of it was real so that's what i always tell women is that no matter what anybody outside says 
it's your experience that you've gone through because we have to validate for women that something was traumatic mm. and you know her husband or her partner could have been right next to her and said actually it was a beautiful c-section you know they played classical music and it was like this and that and she might go like yeah well you know it was horrible it's not I hated what i wanted it. yeah it wasn't what i wanted I, mm. I had to see my sense of agency and power that control thing is definitely a big factor a lot of women have told me that yeah once they felt they didn't have any control over any of the yes. processes they were it was taken away from them then they really had to unpack that later mm. work it through plays it plays a big role it does it plays a massive role so again that's not to say that if you've had a c-section that you will have you know, postnatal depression or any kind of postnatal mental illness, taking care of mothers that have had C-sections, that's a massive surgery. <laughs> it is. Uh, and if you don't believe me that it's a massive surgery, go to YouTube and search for mm -hmm. C-section video. You can, don't do that because then you'll need trauma counseling. <laughs> but the reality is like, I think that was a real, you know, for myself as well, doing this kind of work with post postnatal work with mothers was to understand what is actually entailed in a c-section and it is massive surgery mm. so um yeah it plays a role and a lot of people think you need to just bounce back after having the baby and perhaps with some women having a natural birth that's more possible but with a cesarean you literally you can't drive for six weeks you can't walk upstairs you're quite limited and your movement is very painful to move and then sometimes in that sort of situation women find they struggle to bond with their babies is that perhaps a contributing factor? Yes, yes. Struggling to bond with a baby is definitely a contributing factor to, to postnatal depression. So sometimes it's a misfit between the baby and the mom's temperament. And it just is what it is. You know, sometimes you get a very laid back mom who suddenly has to take care of a very fussy baby. Or you get a mom who's very overly anxious just by temperament and you have a baby who like literally <laughs> can sleep for hours and this mom is, is obsessed because why is this baby sleeping so much i think if you're you know if you find that you're struggling to bond with your baby knowing that that can have long-term implications on both of your mental health bonding is good for mom and baby you know we have these um, beautiful video images of, of MRIs where they see what happens inside the brain of the mom and the baby when they're smiling and they're engaging and it's incredible to see the parts of the brain that are lighting up for both of them and and I think you know it, it forms a, a really positive feedback loop in that relationship which is so tremendously satisfying so um, bonding is it's critical for for a mother's wellness actually and you know I think that's Sometimes when you've got a baby that was born prematurely, might have special needs. And you might not feel adequately equipped to deal with your baby's special needs, which also could contribute to you not bonding with your baby. But your baby needs that bonding just as much as you do. So I really encourage moms, if you're feeling like you're battling to bond with your baby, try and find one thing that you do enjoy about your baby and just focus in on that one thing. And that one thing might be their little toes or their little nose and build on that you know maybe tomorrow you can find two things you enjoy about your baby and eventually you can look into your baby's eyes and when you can look in your baby's eyes and you can start having that like connection you know something that happens when you look into somebody's mm. eyes that's that's a nice feeling and if we can have more of those nice feelings i think that's protective of maternal mental health so another factor I've also heard about and I've maybe experienced even is pregnancy complications. I was quite suddenly put on bed rest um, when I was 20 weeks pregnant with my first. And well, it's on the surface, it was quite nice to just sort of rest at home, work from home. 
And we knew she was going to be prem, so we could, could almost prepare, but nothing can actually prepare you for that. Yeah. Is that, is that a, a, a contributing factor or risk factor to PPD? Can you predict that from knowing that the mom had that extra pressure perhaps or stress i remember worrying a lot yeah. about whether the baby was going to be okay i'm going to answer your question with the i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and here's why it definitely can be but i can also say that for a lot of moms who are in a stressful work environment that have been put on bed rest that's been protective so it's it's kind of it could be either or if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you are struggling with health problems for yourself and you need to take the time off and you need to be at home and be in bed rest, I suppose it depends again on temperament. You know, if, if you've got a certain mother who's a high achiever, who wants to get things done, who struggles with resting or taking just care of ourselves, you might find that that's, that mother might find it harder to, you know, at the end of the day, go, I've had this baby, I've done everything now. I want my life to go back on. It's been on pause for you know, so long and now it's just still on pause. So a bit of temperamental impatience, I suppose. But like I said, I, I don't really know because on the other hand side, mothers that are in environments that are really taxing and really draining during pregnancy, I think that probably would be better for them to be on bed rest in terms of their mental health. But now listening to what I'm saying and listening to your question, what it is actually about is tension during pregnancy mm. so we haven't touched on that really but any kind of psychological tension during pregnancy can predispose you to having postpartum depression what does what does tension look like then well let's say you're in an abusive relationship mm. that's tension or you've just lost your job and you're six months pregnant well that's tension or what about a family member a loved one dies your husband passes away or your parents pass away or you know, oh my word, I listened to a, a thing on the radio the other day where somebody was talking about how years ago they were pregnant with their third child, six weeks to go, and both boys, her two older children, drowned. Oh, no. And I promise you, I don't even know how I would, I don't know, I, I would probably just like try and run away from my whole life. Unfathomable. Yes. So, so that any kind of tension, any kind of stress during pregnancy does predispose you for, for maternal mental health problems so it sounds like what are the numbers about 30 percent of south african <laughs> yeah. women suffer from this i'm i'm reported yeah, reported because yeah. i think if you listen to this you you'd think a lot more of them would doesn't that make you think we should be a bit kinder to mothers definitely yeah absolutely we're all very sensitive after having babies and well it's nearly six years later for me and i'm still sensitive yeah. <laughs> so i'm not sure when that wears off I don't know that it does. I must be honest with you. I think we we just learn to live with less skin. <laughs> yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. But I think that also gives us more empathy, right? I think so. And I think maybe we should use that empathy towards other mothers mm. and and mothers who new mothers, mothers who are going through all of these things for the first time. Yeah, and you know, even just saying that again, realizing that every new baby brings a new dynamic to a family. I know people who have one child and that's enough. And I know people who have four children and that's enough. And I know people who have got eight children and that's enough. But each time the birth of a new baby brings in something new. And I think we can so often think that, oh, it's such an experienced mom. I mean, really, she's fine, she's got this. 
and you know I was with a friend recently that had her fourth baby and she was just it was such a radical different experience in every aspect to her previous babies and births and I was just so privileged that she would share her journey with with us and to be honest and open about the struggles and I thought that was so brave I thought that was so incredibly brave to say I might be a fourth time mom but this is different and this is hard and I've got a lot of respect for that you know I, I sometimes think when I walk in the shops with my kids and my trolley. They're at that age now where they just want everything. Mm. I don't know if that age ever stops. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, sometimes I I feel like I'm, like, not managing. And then I see a mother walking with, like, three or three children and then a little baby, like, in a car seat or strapped on the back or the body or whatever. And I think, wow, that, that mom, that mom is just like, she, like, how can I help her? You know, and I think if we start thinking and we start opening our eyes and we see moms and we go like, wow, how can I help her? It's much better than going like, oh, look at what she's doing, you know, how is she carrying her baby? Or, oh my gosh, shouldn't be covering that baby up in so many blankets. Yeah, or where are his socks? Why is he not wearing socks? shoes? Oh, no. All the Otanis like they do that hey that's the thing they ask where's your child's socks (laughs) (laughs) but we need to be more gentle with mothers because i think all mothers need extra support and we're not going to know by looks who the mothers are that are struggling with mental health problems and who the mothers are that are okay we're going to figure that out by actually engaging with them somewhere along the line we lost the village that we had and I think in that kind of a situation where you have lots of close friends and family they would maybe be able to warn you let you know what their experience was Mm. so you could sort of know what to look for know what to expect Mm. know when to say like I know it was going to be difficult but I didn't realize it was going to be this difficult and this is the point where I need to say okay I actually can't do this I need some help yeah absolutely Mm. so we by opening up the conversation there's like actually we should hashtag that open up the conversation okay it's a bit of a long one but anyway (laughs) it's it's important because we provide a space for people to talk and i think that if mothers start sharing with each other you know um one of my friends who had babies alongside us you know she was only a long time after able to say like i think i really battled but i just didn't feel i could tell you guys because you looked like you had it all together meanwhile back at the ranch we were all battling and i realized like now when we all have more than one kid now so now we are kind of like when somebody's pregnant we're all like okay so what can we do how can we help because now we know now we understand and I remember thinking to myself that I'm so sorry for all the women that I judged before I had kids you know when I was still the perfect mom way back then before you had children yes and and now I'm so humbled this whole mothering has just humbled me and even as a clinician I think that I I draw from I think I draw more from my mothering into my clinical practice than what I draw from my clinical practice into my mothering Mm -hmm. I think there's a bit of a you know a bit of both going on at the same time but I often sit there and I laugh you know even with older people that I work with, I mean, I work with a wider range of people uh, and sometimes even working with men, you know, sometimes I can draw from my experiences as a mother into, you know, this kind of relationship therapeutically. So it's, it's, it's something that I wish more people would be open about and talk about because it, it enriches all of our experiences. I always say that uh, becoming a mother is the most humbling experience, but also at the same time the most empowering experience because it's given me space to talk about, you know, my experiences and share that and then other women come forward and say, yeah, you told me it was going to be like this and it it actually is, but I'm not shocked. 
I'm not yes. disappointed. Yeah. I know what to do. Yeah. I feel empowered because I knew what was coming and I have help. I found some treatment. You know, we've, yes. they've, they've been empowered by it and, and then they share that experience forward. Yeah. So I think opening up the conversation is crucial mm. to leading to sort of a, a population of mothers in South Africa and fathers who are more open and more empowered and, and more in control of their own mental mm. health. So, you know, the, the reason why I think this is such an important conversation is because of the children. So I think when we first met, I, I think I said to you that I feel we have a mandate as parents to always improve. And, and I think that this is the thing is we have to always be thinking like, you know, what am I doing right now that's not helpful for my child? You know, what do I need to do that's going to change my child's future for the better? And, and I think if we are not taking care of our own mental health, we are taking something very precious away from our children because we're taking a healthy parent away from them. Well, as our children are born, so are we born as parents. Yes. And as they grow, we have to grow with them and, yeah. and know how to be there for them. Yeah. And we can't be there for them in a very healthy way if we're not feeling so healthy ourselves. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. We'll be chatting further about many of these topics yeah. um, across our maternal mental health podcast. But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And then to our listeners, please look out for the next episode in the series where we will continue to discuss these tough topics and work to destigmatize mental illness and provide awareness around maternal mental health. If you have any questions for Gerda, please contact us. The details are in the notes below and we'll ask her your questions on your behalf. Thanks for listening to Parent 24's podcast with me, Elizabeth Mamakos. Sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with the latest parenting news and information and more podcasts like this one. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest, please get in touch with us. Our details are in the notes below.